You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Uh, my name is Frank, uh, pastor of church in Cottonwood, Arizona, with my beautiful wife. Her name is Kathleen. And Kathleen. my handsome son, his name is? Daniel. Okay. Just want to make sure. <clears throat> uh, be, before we get started, we, we want to tell you a story this morning of an experience that we have um, endured. Uh, we've gone through hell. We've gone to heaven. Uh, there's been a lot in 14 years uh, because of what we stood for. And, and I love what Pastor Mark is doing in this place. By the way, they're incredible pastors. You guys are blessed. And uh, we, when we moved to New Jersey many years ago from Texas, when we got to Living Waters, amen. What part of Texas? I've been there. I've done weddings there. We were in Houston, Dallas, El Paso, you name it. Texas? What part? Brownsville. Brownsville? Oh, Brown, oh, Brownville. Yeah, I've, I've been to Brownsville, the, 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 the border. Someone, boy, you got a lot of people from Texas. Where, where are you from? Victoria. Yeah. There's a great C3 church in Victoria. Yes, sir. Waco. Yeah, we used to call it Wacko, but it's okay. <laughs> Humboldt. Oh, but you came from the, yeah, that, off, off 59. Oh, what a memory. We haven't been there in ages. So, anywho, I don't know why we went there, but did, we did. <laughs> praise God. <laughs> But um, I know why, because Dallas Cowboys. Come oh, yeah. on, brother. <laughs> I, guess I, just lo- I guess I just lost the audience. <laughs> Please don't tell me you're Eagles fans. Please. <laughs> Father God, in the name of Jesus, I am. We're going to do an exorcism here right off the bat. Praise God. Uh, <clears throat> turn the mic off. Um, but... Uh, Many years ago, when we first moved to New Jersey, I think, Leanne, we determined you were 10 or 11 years old back then. That's how long we have known them. And now she's an incredible woman of God, an incredible pastor. Gloria, you did a great job with with your daughter. Uh, Rick, well, you know, uh, but... (laughs) Let let, let me tell you a story about Rick. I told him first, (laughs) in the first service... And, and by the way, my version is the truth. Don't listen to Rick. Oh, you guys know Rick anyway. So when we lived in New Jersey, my wife and I, my son, and at that point, our, our daughter, we have another son, uh, but we only had two at that point. And, and uh, we went and bought a big home. I don't know why we bought a big home, but we did. It was 3,200 square feet for us four. We were lost in that, in that house. And so Rick, uh, apparently he found a home that he was going to gut, literally, because the whole inside was just, just bad. So he was going to gut the whole inside and just basically renovate, remodel the whole house. And so he came to me, and, and uh, he was telling me about it. I was all excited. He said, but we don't have a place to live. So would it be okay if we move in with you guys? <laughs> that would be Frank. That would be Frank. I did say that to him. Boy, I did regret it. But anyway. No, I did. No, we did. I promise you we did not. But anyway, so I said to Rick, of course. You know, I just have to talk to my wife. But absolutely. I said, how long do you think the renovation is going to take? And he said to me, three, four weeks and we're out. 
a year later. <laughs> but we got to know them. Our kids grew up together. It was an incredible, incredible time. Uh, not only do you have great pastors, you have great, uh, for us, friends, uh, Mar uh, Mark's dad, uh, Andy, great, great man. We should go have uh, wedding meatballs with your wife Maria at the house. Oh, I'm telling you, it was just a great time, guys. And I just say that because you have some great families in this place. This church is amazing. It truly, truly, truly is. So, but uh, I, I want to just, let me give you a scripture just to encourage you to begin with. Because as we went through what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, for 14 years, I had to hold on to a scripture. I have to believe, and I love what Pastor Leanne said, you need to start expecting church. You need to walk around expecting, not just, by the way, on Sunday mornings, but I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. You walk around expecting whatever the God says is what we need to believe in, and if we believe in it, we have to expect it. And so we need to stand on the Word of God, especially today. And there's some of you out there that you're, you're wavering, you're doubting. I'm going to say to you, don't waver, don't doubt. If anything, stand fast. Because what God has done for us, He's going to do for you. Can someone say amen? But in, in Psalm 34, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many righteous do we have here? Every hand should go up. Every foot shall go up. Every, I mean, everyone. If All righteous means is right standing. If you have a relationship with God, you have a right standing with God. You may say to me, but Pastor, you don't know what I do. I, maybe not. He does. But you see, he's not forsaken you. He's not forgotten about you. Sandy, God hasn't forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about you. I don't know why you just said me. God has not forgotten about you. Get ready, girl. You get ready. And so, uh, but listen to the latter part of this verse. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. But in the TPT, it says this at the end of the verse. The Lord will save them and not let them be defeated by what they face. I not about you, but that's good news. For 14 years, we faced a dilemma that was uh, very trying at times. Uh, at times could be encouraging, but for the most part, it was a fight. But this word tells me that whatever I was facing because of my son's choices and lifestyle, I was not going to be defeated. The church has to walk around with the warrior mentality. We will win because of the one that lives in us. He defeated the enemy. He defeated sin. He defeated whatever the devil throws at you. He defeated all of that, which means you and I were victorious. What's going to separate us from the love of God? Nothing. We are more than conquerors. We're above, not below. If I don't be careful, I'm going to start preaching, and I'm going to forget all about the message. Keep going, The story is, as Pastor Mark said, it's a 14-plus year, years in, in the making. Uh, my son, and he'll go more into it, but my son found himself deep into homosexuality, deep into drug addiction, among other addictions. And, and so my wife and I, we fought for our son. We were not going to give in to what the current culture is saying. We have to believe in what the Word of God has spoken. Not what I see but what he spoke. 
And so that made a big difference in our lives. But let me begin by, by giving you just a, a little bit of a, a history. Any history buffs in here? Oh, many. Well, if I say something wrong, don't correct me, okay? <laughs> but let me take you to the period of the Renaissance, and you're going to see what I'm talking about in a few minutes. It, it was a period that uh, birthed a cultural renewal, artistic, political, and economic rebirth. Uh, but in that, in the Renaissance, what was happening is everything that the church stood for, basically it was erased. There are five keys to what we see in the Renaissance. Number one, you saw the rise of humanism or the birth. You saw the birth of individualism. You saw the birth of skepticism. You saw the birth of being well-roundedness or being balanced. And you saw the birth of secularism. Uh, we see that today church. Can someone say amen? amen? Just a quick definition. Humanism, the motto for the Renaissance, when you define humanism, is man is the measure of all things. And all that means is God was removed from where he needs to be and was placed by man. We became the measure of all things. Individualism, which means the right to be themselves and the right to think for themselves. It became a me attitude. And again, you see that happening right now. I may think I'm this today, but if I want to think I'm that tomorrow, guess what? That's what I am. You guys know what I'm talking about. So, so you see this individualism. Skepticism uh, was having a questioning attitude. Uh, it was to challenge the current system, destroy the traditions. And that's happening right now with our churches, especially our pastors. ACU, which is an Arizona Christian University in Phoenix, they did a survey of 1,000 pastors. 30% of those pastors came back, and they literally believe that just being good gets you to heaven. You don't have to believe in Jesus. And when you begin to look at their thinking, they're challenging tradition. They're challenging the word of God. Listen, for many years, the woke culture, not the church, but the woke culture has been challenging tradition, marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, I go on and on and on. I only have a few minutes, but what we, uh, we need to understand what's happening right now. That's why I'm so excited that Pastor Mark is teaching on the woke church. Because wokeism out there is in the church. And then to be well-roundedness means to have interest in many things and be active in many fields. But secularism is to believe in the importance of life on earth and or to take care of the earth. What's one of the biggest things that's going on in our political scene right now, if not the earth? See, the spirit of Renaissance was very secular, had nothing to do with uh, religious uh, the sad thing about it, the proponents of the Renaissance, for the most part, those that believed in it, were committed Christians. You have a lot right now of committed Christians that believe in wokeness. The church leaders in the Renaissance, they had an aversion to what was then considered medieval Christianity or prayer. Fasting, scripture, self-discipline. They didn't like that. Well, it's happening again, guys. 
It's happening right now in a lot of our churches. The problem, there was a massive problem with church leadership. Why? Because at that point, the Pope came into the picture, and he's made himself as the sole uh, authority of the church. It was his final. Whatever he said, that's what went in the church. He became sole and final authority. What happened then, the leadership became very divided and compromised. The church itself, they became very disillusioned with what was going on. And so they wanted no part to do with the church. What do you think is happening right now? What do you think is happening to our millennials right now? That's the biggest issue. We don't want the church. We don't like the church. They're fake. They're this. They're that. And they go on and on and on. What they need to see, church, is the power of God in our churches. And all I can say is in our church, and I believe in this church too, we saw the power of God. And that was just but the beginning for us. So when Pastor uh, Mark said the church is asleep, the church is asleep. But we need to wake up. And we as leaders, we cannot back away or acquiesce to what this culture, culture, the culture is saying. We are asleep. Church, let's wake up. And I believe that's exactly what God is doing. And by the way, who is the church? We are. Uh, I didn't hear you. Who is the church? We are. So after the Renaissance came the Reformation. Someone say, thank God for the Reformation. Thank God for the Reformation. Because what started happening is through the Reformation, they started rejecting the practice of one man in authority. They said no more as far as the Pope is concerned. They called the church back then to purity. They called the church back to belief in the Bible. Forget tradition or forget one man, but they said that the Bible is the sole and final spiritual authority in our lives. Get ready because it's going to be the word of God that's going to become alive in our lives. Whenever you're going through whatever you might be going through, when the enemy attacks, you have one in the scripture that can destroy everything that the enemy is trying to throw at you to destroy you. So we have to stand on the word of God. As I said, church, I think this is where we are today. But I believe the church is on the, on the verge of revival. We had renaissance. We had reformation. I believe that what wokeness is doing today is going to lead us to a revival. Watch and see what happens. So our story uh, is 14 years in the making. And my son will talk a little bit about more about his story. And then my wife will give her perspective on what happened. But... Uh, a couple of weeks ago at our church, my wife was taking care of the uh, I mean the children's department. And she had two little girls come up to, uh, to her. They had to go to the bathroom. One was eight and one was, no, no, I'm sorry. One was nine and one was ten. I remember. <laughs> See, details for me, forget it. One was nine and one was ten. So they asked, uh, uh, they asked uh, my wife if they could go to the bathroom. Well, of course. So they went to the bathroom. In the bathroom was an older lady from the church, and she overheard the two little girls talking about transgender. Nine and ten. By the way, it's more common than we think. Later, one of the little girls went up to my wife and told my wife that her sister, who is in his youth group, believes she's a boy. So you already see the humanism and the individualism 
that has crept into our churches. But my God is bigger than those two. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Someone say amen. So the question is, how do I react as a pastor? What do do I do? What's my responsibility? What's the responsibility of the church? And see, this is where I I love what Pastor Mark is doing because the church needs to wake up. The term woke in the 1930s, that's the first time it came up, had pure beginnings. Basically, this is what it meant. It meant to pay attention to the social and political issues that impacted equality. There's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, the term yoke is now yoked to the LGBTQ and other movements. And the reason I mentioned that one is because that's what we're going to talk about, because that's what he came out of. I don't want to cast any dispersions on that movement, but I am saying to you that what's happening is not of God. And we have a responsibility to address that movement because I want to see the miracle that happened to him to happen to everyone else. Can someone say amen? The woke community takes love as their, as their crutch. So because... You know, the Bible says God is love. They really believe that we are to love everyone. Their sin, their behavior, their lifestyle, their beliefs. And by the way, if you don't agree with their narrative, they will cancel you out. So we we have to believe what they're doing. And because God is love, then we, the church, need to love them no matter what. But what they don't understand is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. There's a truth coming to the church. Get ready. John chapter 1, verse 4 says that he is truth and life. He's truth. So when we invite Jesus into the situation, guess what? Things are going to start happening. Things are going to clear up. And no matter what the enemy's thrown at us, it will not win in our case. We will defeat what's coming against us. Can someone say amen? So I had to battle two things. Uh, one, I believe, is straight from the pit of hell, which is inclusion. One is from the kingdom of God, which is acceptance. Inclusion means I need to uh, accept their behavior, no no matter what. So so when you look at the LGBTQ and, and the woke community right now, they're really asking you to include them no matter what they're doing. And so what happens is this, is, is we, we then give ourselves over to that, And when we give ourselves over to that, we forget God's command. And we go to the God of inclusion. And so when we begin to walk away from the God that we know of in the word of God, and we walk towards wokeism, that's when the power of God no longer abides in the church. And so people are becoming very disillusioned with the church because there's no power. Yet you read about it in the Old Testament. You read about it in the New Testament. You see miracles all the time. Church, we should be walking in miracles daily. I don't care what you're going through. I got the answer. His name is Jesus. So when we look at Daniel's lifestyle, um, by the way, let me just say this, and, and don't get mad at me. And if you do, take it out on Pastor Mark. 
wokeism out there has led to progressive Christians. Because when you look at and define a progressive Christian, they believe everything that I ta- just talked about in the Renaissance. Same thing. Right now, they don't believe that Scripture is, 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 is valid for us today. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in salvation. I mean, everything we talked about before is what they believe. And they have gone on record to say that their purpose is to destroy the traditions of the church. So that's who we are dealing with. That's why the church has to wake up. Come on, someone talk to me. So, the lifestyle that woke people walk in, or progressive Christians, when they walk in this lifestyle, they want us to include them. But you see, God is not the God that excludes. Sin excludes. And see, and that's another thing we don't talk about in the church right now. Sin, because we don't want to offend the person that's woke. And so it's not you and I who are excluding. We never, and he'll tell you, we never excluded him. We loved him. But I did not tolerate the sin that was taking place. So to deal with sin, church, is very easy. Expose it. Expose it. Expose it. And then invite Jesus to take it away. Two verses. First John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. Forgive. First John chapter 3, verse 5. It says, you know that he, speaking of Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. One talks about forgiveness and one talks about taking away. When you look at the word, those two words in Greek, two completely different words. And this is what he's saying. When we ask for forgiveness, he removes from you your behavior or what you, know, what, what you were in. But when you ask him to take away, he takes away the root that's causing that behavior. And many times what happens is you'll have Christians that will go and and ask God for forgiveness because of what they've been in. They want deliverance. They want to be set free. But how many times have you seen them go back to? Why? Because they never asked Jesus to take away or get rid of the root. And so my prayer for my son, when I, I could not and I would not go to the inclusion, but I did go to the acceptance. Why? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 to praise, uh, we're to give praise to the glory of his grace, wherein he, speaking of Jesus, has made us accepted in the beloved. God made us accepted in Christ Jesus. We belong to Christ Jesus. I didn't do a thing to belong to his family other than ask for forgiveness of my sins. When he was born, the day he was born, He didn't do anything for him to be accepted into our family. He never, not not one thing. All the work came from her and I. (laughs) Woo, we had a good time too. Anyway. But when he was born, he was accepted. There's not a thing he did to be part of this family. So then there's not a thing you can do to be removed from the family. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
but what may separate you is sin. So what, what I started doing then, I started praying for, for my son. And I would ask the father, would you create an atmosphere where my son will come to you and ask for the forgiveness of his sins? But I didn't stop there. I said, Father, I'm also asking you to bring him to a place where he will ask for this sin to be taken away. Not only did I want the fruit to be gone, but I wanted the root to be dealt with. Behavior gone, root dealt with, I wanted my son free. So what allowed me to see him as to who God called him to be is I had to separate who he was from what he was doing. So I focus on his identity as my son, as a son of God, and I remove from the behavior of what he was doing. I was not going to condone his behavior, but I was going to accept his position as a son. And many times what we do, because we get so frustrated, so mad, we look at the behavior and we forget about his identity. And when we look at the behavior, we then that's when we begin to push people away without possible redemption or restoration. And the Lord spoke to us and said, don't do that. And we did not. My son, my other son, my youngest, and my daughter, as much as they wanted their brother, and their brother was in the dark ages, and he'll tell you all about this, yet they said, Dad, we need, we want our brother. He was always part of the family. No matter what he was doing, he was part of the family. So I had to separate his identity from his behavior. Church, that's two completely different things. I was not going to accept what he was doing, but I was going to accept him as my son. So I said, Father, so what do I do then to begin to see this restoration in my son? And the Lord started showing me. For three months, I would go over to Phoenix. That's where he was living. We lived in Cottonwood, which is about two hours uh, south of Phoenix, north of Phoenix. Details, don't worry about them. Uh, north of Phoenix. And, and, and uh, he could not drive because his license was taken away because of his drug addiction. He had 15 accidents. He totaled five cars. He could uh, and should have been dead numerous times. So he could not drive, but he had to go to work. So Sunday mornings, I go to the church, I preach. We go to lunch. After that, I head down to Phoenix. So I could go take him to work and pick him up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. After I picked him up Thursday night, Friday morning, I head back up to Cottonwood so I can get ready to preach again on Sunday. I did that for three months. And so I was asking the Lord, so, okay, I'm doing this, but what do I do? to see my son free. And the Lord said to me, clean his house. <laughs> Any person with an addiction as deep as he had is, the house is not clean. And I'm talking about mountains of laundry. I did his laundry. Bathroom was filthy. I cleaned his bathroom. I swept and I mopped the living room, found needles, found everything. But again, if I was to look at the behavior, I could have just sat down and become discouraged. How many know what I'm talking about? But if anything, it gave me a holy anger. I said, all right, you want to play this way, devil? Let's do it. So I went to the Father, and the Lord said this to me. 
when you clean his bedroom, the bedroom speaks of rest. Began to pray that when he goes to sleep at night, that God would bring him the rest that he needs. When he would go to the bathroom, the bathroom speaks of cleansing. And I would pray, Lord, when he does go and takes a shower, does whatever, Father, I'm asking that the word that's in him, because he had the word in him, would you allow that word to become alive again and begin to cleanse him? When he went to the kitchen, the kitchen speaks of nourishment. I would say, Father God, when he's in here preparing his food or whatever he's doing, Father, would you just nourish him through your presence? Let your presence invade this place and nourish my son. And the living room speaks of life, even though in the living room a lot of death was happening. But I was not going to give in to that death. I spoke life. I took the scriptures. I took the word. And I spoke life in that, in that living room. So I just believed that when Daniel was going into his bedroom, he would find rest. Into the bathroom, he would find cleansing. Into the kitchen, he'd be nourished. And when he would go into the living room, there'd be life. And that's what I prayed over and over and over. But let me end with this. The key, though, for me and for him was for me to walk in forgiveness. I could have very easily been very upset and very angry at my son. And if I would have walked in bitterness, I would have shut down the spigot from the father to me, where I would hear from God what he had for me to speak to and or pray over my son. So I walked in forgiveness because I needed to hear from my God a word for my son. So I'm going to come from my perspective of what I went through and what I'm seeing in the culture today. In our culture right now, there are two things that I feel are being robbed. Let me back it up. In the first service, Pastor Leanne talked about how we have access to the kingdom. We have access to every tool that God has given us to fight our battles here on earth. Our culture is stealing, robbing two of those most important things from us. These two things go hand in hand with each other. Dad was just talking about one of them. In order to have one, you have to have the other. To have hope, you must operate in forgiveness. When you forgive or ask for forgiveness, you birth hope. With forgiveness comes hope. Dad talked about how in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, I'm going to talk about 1 Corinthians 13, 5, and 7. Forgiveness and love... Forgiveness is love. 1 Corinthians 13.5 keeps no record of being wronged. Hope is love. 1 Corinthians 13.7, love is always hopeful. Our society today is operating out of a place of permanent offense. There's nothing we can do that's going to satisfy them. If we don't agree with their viewpoint, they become offended they become reject, we, then we become rejected, and then they birth unforgiveness. Our politicians, our government, operate in the same atmosphere. If one side does one thing, they're like, oh my God, that's so unforgivable. Let's blah, blah, blah. If the other side does something else, that's just unprecedented. It's, unforgiv- it's unforgivable. There's no, there's no remedy they're not coming up with any remedy, which is Jesus, but they're not saying anything. All they do is want to be unforgivable and, and, and take our hope away. Certain movements and or organizations find someone's sins of the past and find them guilty. They cancel them out, like Dad said earlier. They erase them. They have no grace. They have no mercy. They have no forgiveness. So what does that leave us? 
hopelessness. They're keeping records of them being wronged. Today I'm going to talk from Psalm 133 through 5. If you, God, kept records of all wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? Wow, wow. But you forgive love, but your forgiving love is what makes you so wonderful. No wonder you are so loved and worshiped. This is why I wait upon you. This is why they waited upon him, expecting your breakthrough, for your word brings me hope. Again, Pastor Leanne said at the beginning, the word for this church is expecting. Mm. Expecting your breakthrough. Expecting my breakthrough. A little bit about my story is because of my trauma that I had, and I'll get to that here in a second, I was operating out of unforgiveness, holding on to offense, and hopelessness. But because of forgiveness and because of hope, I experienced my breakthrough, my redemption, my restoration, my peace, and my freedom. I had a great family growing up. We weren't perfect. Mom was, but we weren't perfect. Wow. Forgiveness. You operate in forgiveness. Knocked the word into you. We had a great, I had a great upbringing. We were in a church, as I said earlier, that we, that we loved. Um, we had great friends. Um, uh, mom and dad just encompassed the whole family which is with love there was never any they never fought or if they did it was never bad nothing that you see today in families it was very healthy uh but my trauma came from outside the family at the age of 18 and the age of eight i was sexually violated at the age of 18 i was sexually violated and in between those the age of eight and 18 i was bullied i thought bullying was normal you see it in the movies, you're like, oh, that's part of growing up. So I never told them what I was going through. So they never had a chance to help me process that. I was called names like faggot, gay, the list goes on. But they, what they were doing is that, that they were cursing my identity. Planting the seeds that had been planted through those violations that was growing and, and growing what I, my confusion. At the age of 18, after the second violation, I was on a traveling Christian traveling drama company, going through the country, going to church to church, church to church to church. And one night, uh, I was in Ohio, and uh, I was sexually violated. And I remember busting out of the hotel room, running down the streets. I had no idea where I was, but I was looking for the first payphone. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. How could you be looking for the first payphone or know what a payphone is if you look that young? I'm so young. Thank you. <laughs> I get my humor from my dad. <laughs> um, I called dad up. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Let him know what happened. I was distraught. I was full of anxiety. I was hurting. I was crying. And all I wanted my parents to do was come and rescue me. This was the first time I was away from home. This was the first time I'd never been with them around. I wanted them to come, just come and get me. Dad said, just let's pray about it. Let, let's go back to sleep. Don't go near that guy. And I'll call the drama company the next morning. So he did. But they never came for me. 
in my mind, and the lie that I believed was now that I'm abandoned, I've been rejected, I'm not loved. Even though I had no reason to ever believe that, ever. But in that moment, when I felt I needed them most, they didn't come. Not because they didn't want to come. They talked to, years later, I found out they talked to the drama company. They wanted me in it. They were very apologetic. They were very, um, uh, 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 they said they'll handle it, they'll deal with it. Your son is an asset. We don't want to lose him. So dad took them on face value and said, okay, well, no, go ahead and take care of it. I didn't realize that was happening. So the, the lie was, now I'm in unforgiveness. Now I'm being offended. And that birthed the hopelessness. That birthed the next 21 years of drug addiction, homosexuality, things that I was trying to validate my emptiness with false validations of things of the world. Isolation and loneliness was birthed. Fear of loneliness gave way to hopelessness. Like Dad said, I, I was searching for acceptance of love, validation, acceptance, hope, and peace. I was addicted to sex, porn, and homosexuality. And I'm, please hear me clearly, homosexuality is an addiction. You're self-medicating something that happened to your trauma, whatever it was. You're self-medicating thinking that this is going to make you feel better. I'll tell you right now, out of all the failed relationships and the rejection, it was nothing but a deep abyss. Mm. Nothing ever was satisfying at all. Maybe in a moment, but then it was just this gut-wrenching emptiness afterwards. I then went to drugs. I was addicted to meth, GHB, and cigarettes. I tried and did all those things because I thought they were going to make me feel better. I thought... They're going to make me whole. I thought they were going to bring me happiness. I thought they were going to bring me peace. I thought. Just to give you a sample of what my life was like, and, and this is going to be the worst part of my life. Please know that some of you might think, well, I'm not that bad, or, or I know someone that isn't that bad. Well, no, it led up to this. Nothing happens overnight. You're going to have a progression. You may think of looking at that, that, that website or, or, or smoking that joint or, or doing something like, oh, it's just going to, Whatever. No, you're going to keep going because it's going to make you feel good for that moment. Uh, Dad, I already kind of talked about it. I was in 15 accidents in five years, five total cars. I should be dead. I know that's a little morbid, but I should be dead at least 10 times over. Um, on average, every year, we should all be getting at least 365, no, at most 365 days, nights of sleep a year. I was averaging 75 nights of sleep a year. I was up for six days, crashed the seventh, and get right back up and do it all over again. Most of you will come home, go home every day after work or after whatever you're doing and turn on the TV, turn on the news, turn on Hulu, turn on Netflix, turn on your favorite TV show. I would turn on pornography. That was going 24-7 all day long on my phone, on my TV, on my laptop. That was just infiltrating my, 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 my atmosphere. I had nonstop rejection. The gay community, the LGBT community is so, as dad said, uh, uh, inclusive. Some of the most gut-wrenching rejection that I encountered, that I also participated in, came from that community. Face value, it's love. 
Underneath that face value, it's nothing but hate, nothing but hurt, and nothing but abuse. Thank you, Mom. That led me to more isolation. And then that led to me on a daily encountering the spiritual realm, not in the good way, demonically. I have scars on my body. I have the enemy tried to take me out from hitting my head on so many things. I would wake up to myself falling backwards. It's just, yeah. But that was all my choice. I opened those doors. I made those choices. The devil didn't do it to me. I did it to myself. All because of the lie I bought into, I was making choices from a place of unforgiveness and offense. Look at this generation. Look at this society we're in right now. They're making all their choices out of unforgiveness and offense. What does hope look like? Well, I can tell you right now what it doesn't look like. Hope is good to have other people believing for you, standing in the gap for you, praying for you, holding their hands up for you until you finally are able to believe and hold up your hands for yourself. That's what my parents did for me for 14 years. Real quick. Uh, right after I got out of rehab and I was coming home, dad was preaching and um, was talking to the church about how they were you know, standing in the gap for 14 years and waited for 14 years and endured for 14 years. And there was, I think, an old couple, or there was a couple sitting behind my mom. And when my dad said 14 years, they were like, dang, 14 years? I can't last five minutes. We want to know how do we reach this generation? How do we reach this community? How do we reach these people that are so lost, that they're woke? I couldn't see past my front nose because of what I was into. Even though I had the word in me, I couldn't see past it. But what I could see and what I plainly see now is that they showed me the Father's love. They didn't walk in forgiveness. I mean, they walked in forgiveness. They didn't walk in unforgiveness. If anyone had the right to be offended, if anyone had the right to cast me out, if anyone had the right to just disown me, these two right here. But not once did I ever feel like they rejected me. Sometimes we're not able, we, sh we always feel like we have this, 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 this need to fix people. We're not here to fix anyone. We're here to love them, to show them Christ. God is the one that's going to come and fix them. Forgiveness has n has never has anything to do with the other person. It always has everything to do with you and only you. When you forgive someone else, it sets you free from the trap of, of offense. When you ask for forgiveness, you are operating from a place of surrender and humility. I looked at the word forgiveness, and in the King James, it was mentioned three times. And those, the definition for forgiveness is your sins are pardoned. What does pardon mean? Meaning you can never, ever, ever be charged for your crimes or be held accountable. When I asked for forgiveness and I finally surrendered everything to God because of the cross and because of what Jesus did and because of the blood, that covered all my sins. And even if, let's go a little further, when we for, ask for forgiveness and repentance, God literally, in the word it says, God literally forgets our sins. 
How many times do we bring up our own sins? How many times do we allow the enemy to come back and say, hey, remember this one time? No, no. The enemy works from the past to the present, but God worked from the present to the future. Hope brings future. Forgiveness allows for God to come in. Unforgiveness hinders what God wants to do in you and through you. If we operate out of unforgiveness, church, how are we going to show this world, how is God going to be able to work through us to show this world who he is? God is using each and every one of us. We are telling his autobiography through our story. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I'll break that down. <laughs> Forgiveness brings repentance. Forgiveness brings surrender. Forgiveness brings forgiveness. When we ask for it, God freely gives it to us. Hope is in Christ. Christ came to save, redeem, and restore. Because of what Christ did on that cross, we have a hope, a promise of freedom both in this life and the next. Hope speaks about a future. If we can't forgive, if we operate out of offense, if we operate uh, 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 attached to this woke agenda, look at your just just look at your country right now. Everyone's feeling hopeless. Where's this country going? I think the latest poll is 72, 75% believe that this country is going in the wrong direction. Where's the hope in that? Why? Because we're offended. So as I end with this, what choice are you going to make? Are you going to choose what has been freely given to us and live and live freely? Are you going to choose what my parents did to love, to operate out of a place of forgiveness and hope for someone else? Or are you going to choose a life of loneliness and hopelessness and believe in what the hope of the world says? Because I tell you what, I lived both lives and I will hands down choose the cross every single day. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to wrap things up with just a little bit of my story and my side of what the war was like for me and Frank. And um, I'd like to start with just what salvation is. Salvation actually means... What Jesus did on that cross and paid the price for is deliverance, healing, provision, prosperity, safety. And so he wants to actually manifest and work out that for each and every one of us. So I just kind of grabbed hold of deliverance. And I know that we've all had educations and we've all know ministries that do deliverance ministries, but this wasn't a heart cry from a mama who wanted to send him to something like that. It was a heart cry for, that I just began to say, Jesus, will you deliver my son? I want to see your real powerful deliverance. Obviously, we need it, and I want to see what it looks like, feels like, smells like. I want to see that power of deliverance. So it gave me hope that Jesus was enough. Come on. So how do we love without compromise? As I prayed and declared for Daniel, and I used actually a lot of different 
words, but when you pray and you declare the word of God, I'm praying the word, which is alive and it's powerful and it comes alive and powerful. So when I'm declaring it, I'm believing it and I'm receiving it. I wasn't looking at his behavior. I was believing what God said he's going to do. If I had accepted this, his lifestyle, if I had accepted people and what's going on in this world, if I had accepted it, then God becomes the lie. Either I believe the truth of the word of God or I don't. So I couldn't, there was no wavering for me. And in fact, when Daniel came to me and he said, mom, I'm letting you know that I'm, I'm going into this lifestyle and this is who I am. And I, and I looked him right in the eye and I said, no, you're not. That's not who you are. I was, I just said, no, you guys, we need to say no. Come on, yes. It's okay to say no. But that began a thing, a standing in the firm foundation that I was going to believe that Jesus and his deliverance at the same time, the same burning, the same crying out, I cry out for this nation because I'm telling you that the what you're seeing is the separation of God out of our lives, out of our schools, out of our nation. And let me tell you something. There's, when that void begins to happen, it's going to be filled with something. And there's spirits that begin to fill that. Idols, spirits, witchcraft, new age. We live in, the mid, in Cottonwood, Arizona, in the middle of the state but we live right by Sedona, who's the Mecca age of new age. We live on, on the other side of the mountain is Jerome. It's full of witchcraft. And actually, the, uh, Satan, what is his the name? Bible. The Satanic Bible was written there. So we, we're very awakened to what that can do. But people don't realize that in their void of wanting love and acceptance, they begin to fill them. They get all mesmerized with the supernatural thinking they can open themselves up to this what you're seeing is that pressure of that darkness is settling in but God is setting us up and there's nothing in this world there's nothing in this world that has a we can't fix this you guys we can't fix it we can't intellectually talk to them we can't argue with them it doesn't matter what you say. We need a divine intervention that Jesus is going to let his kingdom come, let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are, we need, the only thing that can come against these gods and these spirits, the only thing that has the power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to get bold. We have to pray bold prayers. And we have to say no to the world and say yes to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only answer to the, this present darkness. In him alone was the power to break his chains and pull down the strongholds, nullify the spells and the curses, and set him free. The culture is to take God out and separate us from him but the power of Jesus is the opposite. 
of this darkness. It is the power to end the separation, to remove everything that has separated us from God, starting with sin, as all have sinned. All of us have sinned. Jesus died on the cross, sacrificed his body versus... Oh, I want to say something here. Jesus sacrificed his body. What happens with a spirit or an idol, which is going to fill up the emptiness of everybody's soul. But when he begins to see, I want you to remember his body was on that cross, died and sacrificed that body. Open, open for everyone to see. Or you could have been like Daniel who was sacrificing his body to the idol, wanting to get love and acceptance from that idol. And it was costing him his body. It was costing him death was all around him. But Jesus paid the price and he gave his body. And he's the only one that can give identity. He's the only one that can give value and worth. He will answer your value questions. He will answer your worth questions. He will give that and impart that to you from a father who loves you. So remember that it's either Jesus Christ or the idol. And it, they, that spirit, the Satan spirit, all the spirits will require your body. It, let me keep reading here. There is no life from God that his mercy cannot reach. There is no sin one has committed that is so great that his forgiveness is not greater still. No bondage, no addiction, no chain so strong that it can't, that it can, it can, can't stand, but his power to break it. No past so defiled, so full of guilt and shame that his power to redeem is not greater still. No darkness so dark that his love is not deeper still. He is the light that drives out the all darkness. He is the hope that overcomes all hopelessness. He is the grace that washes away all sin, guilt, shame, and the way that breaks open every wall breaks down every wall and barrier and makes possible what is not his arms are still open and his love is calling you one and one only has to say yes to receive it give him one sins give him your burdens and receive and let his presence come into one's heart his light is into the darkness his forgiveness he's calling he's cleansing his I'm sorry, his cleansing, his word, his peace, his spirit into every part of life. Turn away from all darkness and all sin and all idols and all gods and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to end with this. Jesus, Jesus was talking to the disciples. He sent them out there to do, and he said he gave them authority and power, and they saw them overcome and take authority over the demons. They were so excited when they came back. And this is what Jesus replied to them. While you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. Now you understand 
that I have imparted to you my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will harm you as you walk in this authority. However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is your true source of authority. And then Jesus, overflowing with the Holy Spirit's joy, exclaimed, he turns to his father and he says, thank you for you are Lord supreme. You are Lord supreme over heaven and earth. You are the only Lord. There is no other gods. You are the Lord supreme over heaven and earth. You have hidden the great revelation of this authority from those who are proud, those wise in their own eyes, and you have shared it with these humbled who have humbled themselves. Yes, Father, this is what pleases your heart to give these things to those who are like trusting children. I want to tell you the most powerful weapon against Satan that I had was that when I prayed and I declared the word of God, I believed and received that in his identity, he was going to be everything that God called him to be. But when I prayed, I entered into rest. And when I entered into rest, trusting Jesus Christ, everything, that was my most powerful weapon against the devil. I just want to tell you, we need the power of God. And it's here and it's now because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that will, oh, that will take down all the spirits that are trying to come against us. And that's it. When Daniel was in his mother's womb, someone prophesied over him that he would one day be preaching. So, and that's what we kept a hold of. Again, not his behavior, but the promise. And church, I want to say to you, there are some promises that God has given each and every one of you. And I'm going to say to you, hold on to that promise. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the Son sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.